Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Brett Contreras back on the show after a four-year hiatus. Can you believe it? I can't. And uh, I'm really glad I brought Brett back on because it was a fantastic discussion. We talk about his exercise efficiency guide and kind of understanding how to diagnose exercises and their efficacy for your goals and it was a really really great discussion we talk a bit about social media as well and some of the negative impacts that could be having on scientists in general i think you'll really enjoy this and as always guys if you do enjoy the podcast please do leave us a five star rating over on spotify or wherever you're listening it if if you can give us a review please leave us a nice one we appreciate it but without further ado we'll get into the show cheers guys Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Brett Contreras back on the show. I was just, I, I can't believe how fast time passes. I don't know if this will sound like a long time to you, Brett, but I look back and I was like, how has it been four years, almost four years since Brett came on? That was episode 112, but does it feel like four years to you, Brett? I don't know. <laughs> It's like two years, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I can't even believe it. So back then we were talking about kind of um, hypertrophy and uh, what drives hypertrophy, and obviously fantastic discussion. I feel bad almost that it's been four years since I've brought back Brett because that was a fantastic discussion, and Brett has a lot to share. And I just recently came across some of uh, content that kind of inspired me to want to bring Brett on because it's something that, I mean. Brett is very passionate about what he does. I'm sure the audience is very aware who Brett is. And uh, this is something I'm very passionate about as well. And I think it's something that is a bit of a, um, I guess, everything in the fitness industry. And I'm sure you know this, Brett, like it swings around about, roundabout, sorry, like things come in and they go. And this is something that's in at the moment in terms of uh, exercise selection and uh, biomechanics and that sort of thing. Um, before we dive into that, though, I know I like doing this with kind of people that come on who obviously you're an exercise scientist but also you lift so i like to just kind of get an update on kind of how is that going with you and i don't know any updates over the last four years any big kind of life changes for you brett that is worth the listeners knowing about well you know i, I moved from the biggest thing i moved from san diego to vegas and i still have my gym in san diego but it's been very hard to keep my squad at their top strength with me not there you know, they did good for a while. It was, you know, I, I, I'll get 20 text messages during this call, <laughs> during this podcast. I'm always looking over their videos, telling them what to do. I still write all their programs. It's just different with me not there to motivate. And it's not, it's just not as fun. When I'm there, we have big groups and it's so much fun training together. So I'm trying to get a gym here in Vegas, but it's actually been um, very surprisingly hard to find a gym to lease, like a nice space near me. But that's not like a 25 minute drive or something, you know, but uh, I do still train a ton of people here in Vegas. I train, I still work with so many people and I don't have to, <laughs> I don't need the money. I do it because I will never stop practicing. It's practice. It's free practice. It's skill work. That's what keeps you sharp. I want to be the world's glue expert <laughs> and that requires me to lift. That requires me to train people that requires me to read research and conduct experiments and conduct research. I have been doing good at that lately, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a vital component. You stop training people, you go rusty. You start speaking 
esoterically and theoretically, and you're not grounded in the practical, which is interesting. What, what I'm seeing a lot of now, you can tell all these people coming out with these bold claims. They don't train people. It's obvious to those who have a bunch of clients, you'll never catch us saying these things. That's, it's like a dead ringer. When I see these things, I'm like, ah, another person that doesn't train anyone. Yeah, I guess this is uh, something that I get the bros always pick at like the scientific papers about like, oh, you like guys don't lift. And so it's great. I mean, a lot of the people I talk to an interview on here, like yourself, Brad Schoenfeld, Mike Isretel, like Eric Helms, uh, these individuals, like all who are well within the scientific literature and kind of pay attention to that, but also at in their heart also like bros and they just want to get jacked and help people get jacked so i think it's that kind of well it's uh, that's what evidence-based practice is in terms of kind of molding and meshing the two together and applying your experience as well so yeah it's i guess for you when you see kind of people making bold claims and black and white statements about things that maybe for you have like in your experience have just worked tremendously well it's like that hurts <laughs> it's like and they, they have all these kind of i guess facts or what have you about however they're trying to present it and your real life experience is, is telling you something different and that can be quite challenging and yeah I, I can see why for someone as passionate as you are about this it can be something that you obviously then came out and it inspired you to create this really cool uh, efficiency guide yeah so i actually spent a long time on the exercise efficiency guide and you can take that PDF and give it away on your site or whatever embedded in there. Cause I want people to see it. I want to, I'm, my hope is that people can start being their own expert and start relying on other people. I always, I don't know. It's so weird for me. Like Steven, did you ever need someone to tell you if an exercise is good? Like no. when I was, <laughs> eight, I, I knew I could tell. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you feel it. <laughs> yeah, oh, this is a good exercise. It's so bizarre to me. I mean, I could go on Instagram right now and say, pick any exercise. Just pick one right now. We're going to really? do a uh, sissy squat. Okay. The sissy squat is the worst exercise known to man. I could say that. Um, it's so jarring on the knee joints. What a terrible exercise. Whoever thought of this is, you know... Or I could go the opposite direction. The sissy squat is the most underrated exercise. You, it's body weight. You can do it from home. Um, you know, the people think it causes knee pain. It's actually the opposite. You, we have all these people now who are afraid for their knees to go over their toes, and they need to be doing sissy squats to strengthen their quadriceps and patella tendons. And, you know, you do these, you strengthen your knees. They're, they're uh, you know, not only are you going to get quad and rectus femoris strengthening, you're going to get, you know, the benefits of blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the point is I could go either way and I'd get this huge reception. Yeah. And, and the problem is it's th this reward on social media for black and white, for bold statements, for, um, and especially um, like there's not, a, we, I do, I employ every exercise in my gym and I don't have that many injuries. You know, we have to train around things, but you know, if you have people training hard, push it close to failure, you have stuff happen from time to time, but I don't have a lot of debilitating injuries and things like that. And, um, we're doing all these exercises that all these people have always said are, are dangerous. And I'm, I'm just so sick of it. I've been dealing with it for 20 years. I, and it, the other thing is these people, when social media has created this problem because it not only are those posts rewarded, 
we also see the people who create these hysterias, they will block and delete everyone. And then they limit their comments. And so I've had researchers come to me. They're like, Brett, I don't get it. I, I went on this guy's page. You know, Brett, you've you've referenced my studies. I, I published about the glute medius uh, and you referenced my studies. I'm a big fan of your work, you know, but I went on this guy's page and I tried to correct him very politely and he uh, deleted my comments. So I DM'd him, I said, hey, what? And then the guy cussed me out and then blocked me. And it's like, I, I'm hearing that all the time. It's like, why are they trying to, you'll never prevail. Science will always win over time. You can't bully people into, you can't trick people. You can trick them for a little bit, but yeah. only for so long. And what I think is that there's a lot of jealousy in our industry. And you see some guy that's got, you know, more followers than you. And it's very, you want to go after that guy. It's human nature. I've been dealing with that for a very long time. Now there's guys passing me. And I, I recognize like, okay, I get irritated this post, but if that guy had 50,000 followers, I wouldn't be irritated. It's because he has 2.1 million followers. And I'm like, no, it irritates me because it's going out to the masses. So it's, it's human nature, but um, yeah, some of these things, it's like some of these guys, for example, have made a career out of bashing my work. And I have, in my opinion, the most effective glute training system known to men. They've completely, that's all they do. They've made a whole, they, they never taught people like it's just bash, bash, bash. And then they act surprised that I'm offended when you when you bashed all my exercises said I'm doing them wrong. And the most annoying thing is when they try to change the terminology. Like we've been doing this for hip thrusts have been around since 2009, barbell hip thrusts. That's when I first wrote about them for T Nation. So it's been uh yeah, it's been 15 a long time, yeah. Since I invented them. Well, going on 16, but since 2009, that's been what 13 years since they've been popular online, and we had an established name and like naming system, nomenclature, terminology, whatever you call it. And it was like the barbell glute bridge was from the floor, the barbell hip thrust was from a bench. Uh, if you did a partial, it was called a pulse. Um, and so you see these guys who weren't around at that time; they never saw the evolution. I mean, we had all these bloggers back then. We had so many blogs, so many articles on T Nation, so many peer-reviewed studies that use this literature. And then they come around and they try and change the naming system. And the justification is so silly for it. Uh, anyway, these people are not good for the field. They, they would be good for the field if they were, they didn't block and delete and limit comments. And they were open to criticism. They weren't bullies about it, but they have been bullies and I don't, I got into lifting weights because I don't like bullies. <laughs> I can't yeah. stand them. I mean, that's why I started lifting. Yeah, <laughs> Then amazing. I wanted females to like me and I had such a <laughs> terrible physique, but I don't, I really don't like the bullying. It's uh, such a turn off to me. And I've kind of stayed out of it. You know, um, I've stayed out of this because I don't like, you know, there's this saying, never wrestle with a pig because you both end up dirty and the pig likes it. <laughs> so I've stayed out of it, but I realized the time has come where I post my exercise and people are like, LOL, that doesn't work. The glutes that works, the piriformis. And I'm going, 
everyone knows that this doesn't work the piriformis, it works the glutes. And you've got this whole subset of people, their followers that are like, that works the piriformis. And you're all too stupid to know the difference. And you can tell it's not, we can feel which muscles are working. We're not that stupid. We know it's working the glutes. You can feel your glutes, you can palpate it. You can palpate your glutes. And they're trying to bully people into thinking an exercise works the piriformis when it works the gluteus maximus. You can do that with your people, but people have common sense. That's that strategy is only, only going to last so long. And you know, <laughs> that's that's a specific exercise we could talk about. But I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the. Any anyone can see through it from the outside, but it's that those people can't see what they're doing. They can't see that they're bashing exercise. They're bashing people. They're bashing some of these people. Think they're the smartest dudes in the world. That they know more about glutes than me. They know more about hypertrophy than Brad Schoenfeld. They know more about, uh, you know, nutrition than Alan Aragon. And um, they need to be put in their place, in my opinion. Uh, something that comes to mind is Dunning-Kruger when you mention that in terms of like they're at that point and they're just at the prefaces before they realize kind of how much they don't know if maybe they had a conversation with like each of you one-on-one is like, oh <laughs> and they don't have like the ability to get into that depth of knowledge of, and no. it's the experience as well that you have well that that's an, a huge part of this dunning kruger effect is rampant out there and they don't know what they don't know and here's the problem like i would love to debate some of these people but uh like one of them in particular i've heard him on a debate and he doesn't shut up he just bullies and keeps talking and talking and talking and it's like no, we need to have a, a system like, you know, when you debate someone in, in, in a formal setting, you have limits. You can't just keep talking and talking. You can't bully the person. You have like a one minute time limit and then you have to wait. And you have to be respectful. And um, that's what I wish we had. I, I would love to debate some of these people in a formal setting and have yeah. rules and have, and have a moderator that's like, listen, you can't. Hey, your time is up you're done. And if, Hey, if you can't stick to the rules, that's really pathetic. <laughs> you, you, you're not being professional. You're not being respectful because, um, yeah, I, I've seen some of these debates that don't go well. And it's like, well, the, the bigger bully wins, but I, <laughs> I'm six foot four, 250 pounds. I'm not afraid of anyone, <laughs> you know, and I can't, anyone. And I, and I'm, and I, I can talk louder than anyone and I can, but who wants to do, who wants to be involved in that? Yeah. If it, if it comes down to that, it just makes you both look unprofessional and unacademic, you know? Yeah. We've had, uh, I've had a number of, I wouldn't even call them debates on this channel, but a number of just like conversations almost. And I mean, most people I bring on, like yourself, Brett, are just, they're able to have that kind of discourse generally. And thankfully, because I'm not very probably good at <laughs> butting in and making people like stick to a certain uh, time limit, but I can definitely see how that could be really challenging and off putting. You could take myself and Brad Schoenfeld, uh, the guys you mentioned, you know, uh, uh, Eric Helms, Mike Isretel, um, whoever else in the industry is, you know, and we could, we could have a fun, it would be fun listening to the debate because we're not so, what we ultimately want is the truth. So we would be, it would be fun and funny to listen to because we'd probably, we'd, <laughs> We we kind of trust each other to to know that this guy's true compass is is you know 
yeah. is headed towards the truth. They really want the truth. They're not trying to fool anyone. And they would all change their mind given enough evidence. Given yeah. sufficient evidence, they would all change their mind. And they'd even make a post about it. Hey, I, I was wrong. Here's the truth. That's what we, that's what the, the old evidence-based crew, <laughs> we were all like that. And we still are yeah. like that. And these, these new people coming up, they're not like that. They're not the same. They're not one of us. And they will never be one of us until they actually care about science above their own pseudoscience. And they, they, these new pseudoscientists kind of, oh, I like EMG when it, when it, <laughs> I like EMG when it proves my point, but I, oh, EMG is worthless when it doesn't, when it goes against my, my bias, you know, that I, I use this, but then when it, when it doesn't, and it's like, there's no consistency. And that's why I created that guide. Yeah, I think that's really really good point and um yeah one of the also one of the things that came to mind is kind of like censorship it's like that i didn't even really think about the fact that people do block people hide comments whatever it might be restrict them because i, I guess if for example like with the researchers or for for you they might be looking towards you guys to comment and they're, and they're like oh they're not commenting there must be the, the fact they have nothing to say this is all that's, real it's exactly true so you read the comments and it's all all right if i made a post you know, Mike Israel is such a mean person. He's such a bully and I hate him. And then 50 people start, I don't think many people dislike Mike, so it'd be hard, but you know, 200 people comment and 150 of them are like, what? Mike Israel is the greatest guy ever. I love the guy. He's, he's done these wonderful things for me. Like Mike is very generous. He's hilarious. Everyone likes him, but there might be Say there's 15 people who just are haters and they just don't like him. And I leave those 15 comments up and delete all the whatever, 185 that, that supported him. And then you came by and you read this. You'd be like, whoa, he is a bad guy. I don't think I don't think this mic's any good anymore. You can manipulate people's yeah. opinions. Yeah, it's really scary, uh, actually, when, when you think about that. And then I think it's a case of also like with these i guess pseudoscientists or people coming up and they're i guess trying to stake a claim and they're trying to be different and that's also like you said kind of when you're black and white unfortunately that appeals to people so they're kind of like you can't eat these foods and if you don't eat these foods for example like you'll lose weight or whatever and that appeals to the just general public so when you make a black and white statement like this is a bad exercise this is a good exercise these are the ones you should be doing don't do these people are like, oh this is like clarity whereas actually it's kind of I know you said this as a trainer, like you want variations, you want to kind of, it's like foods, you want to give people options. And when you restrict them, like that's just an unhealthy and unnecessary approach to things. And it's not educating, actually, it's holding people back. Well, that's what frustrates me. It's like the problem is people aren't exercising. Let's not get them to be afraid of exercises. And why are you saying something's dangerous when it's not? You know what the most dangerous exercises are by far? squats deadlifts and bench press so by so far more dangerous than any other exercise i had a poll once and i said i think i got like twelve thousand responders to this on survey monkey right and it was like how many times have you injured yourself with this exercise this exercise this and i a whole list of exercises guess what the top three which blew every other exercise away were squats deadlifts and bench press think about yourself have you ever hurt yourself doing a row 
Have you ever hurt yourself doing a hip thrust? Not yeah. Good. You hurt yourself doing a deadlift before, right? So it's so stupid that we're that we're sitting here saying, oh, don't do this. Don't this exercise is gonna trash your joints, but then we're telling people to deadlift. And I I, I love deadlifts, I love every exercise, but you know, people die with bench press, they drop the bar on their chest. There have been people who've died from that. Uh, hell, when you go to rack, you better have those safety pins in place. What happens if you don't get it and you fail? You come down, you better roll the bar this way. You roll it this way. What are you going to do? Yeah. You know? So wh why? It's like, if they're warning people, why aren't you? You're not, you're not, you're like, you know, yelling about, <laughs> you're yelling about these little things in here when there's these big, big elephant in the room that you're ignoring or something. You know what I mean? So that's what's yeah. weird to me. If you're really concerned about, are you really concerned about people's safety? Then you should really warn people about squats and like teach them how to say, if you're really, that's what your biggest concern is. People not getting injured or dying in the gym, teach them how to, how to fail in a squat, you know, teach them how to set up the pins properly in a squat, in a bench press, and then teach them, you know, some of the dangers with deadlifting. And then, yes, you can talk about, you know, military press and bent over rows and then, but so many of these other exercises like kickbacks. Yes, if you overarch, they can cause you some low back pain, but I'm not that worried about kickback form. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's just altering their form a little bit and then they're fine. But I'm not saying don't warn people about like pain and injury and stuff just be consistent if it's if the only posts you've made are picking out my three favorite exercises then you probably have a hidden agenda you know what i mean hey pascal here i just quickly wanted to remind you of our online coaching service at revive stronger we put a huge emphasis on the personal aspect of our coaching and if you want to take your physique and knowledge to the next level hit the link in the description below yeah, it's like you said, and it's that case of it, if you kind of bash these exercises that maybe a lot of people enjoy, it's like, oh, you're probably not going to get the attention you want. Whereas if you pick at someone and you find maybe you think you found like a hole in, in an exercise that like someone with your size of following, like suddenly they kind of get attention and maybe that spirals into they keep going down this route of like, oh, this is going to get me more and more attention. Uh, but it's like you mentioned at the style, I hope at least they either will need to change their way into becoming less dichotomous and less black and white spoken and like if the shades of gray to all of these things and moving down that route or they're just gonna there'll be a flash in the pan because like the saying goes you can only shell, sell shit once <laughs> like they're essentially that's what they're doing they're not going to be able to kind of sustain in the injury eh, sorry industry especially with people like yourself well that's why i created that guide hoping people would read it like look there's three types of clues you know that we rely on in in sports science and straight training like if if you and i are having a discussion you know say say we talk every day and i'm like dude how was your workout then you'll probably we'll talk about you know the common sense clues we will be like dude you should uh i start doing um <laughs> this is a true story i start doing tries the, the v-bar tricep extensions instead of having out in front of me i lean over it and i try to have my elbows out a little bit and then when I come down, I squeeze that lockout for one full second. Then I come back up and I feel it so much more. And my triceps are just annihilated when I do it that way. And I'm actually 
growing some tricep muscle. I never had any of this. Like I never had, I'm growing some at, at age 45. It's kind of cool. But uh, that's just based on feel. And that's what we talk about. Or dude, I got a crazy pump or I got the, you know, I got a, uh, a I felt the burn so much or God, these, these made me really sore. Those are the things we tend to talk about, you know, and they're valid. You know, some people are out there saying sensation is worthless. How, I just think that's the silliest comment I've ever heard in all of my years as a lifter, because um, when, when I grew up reading, reading about bodybuilding, all the bodybuilders, it's all they would ever say. I never had nice pecs until I learned how to use my pecs during a bench press. I had to learn how to feel them pushing the weight up. That's all sensation-based. <laughs> you, you, you have to listen to your own brain, you know, that's connected to the muscles. You have to pay attention to that. If you stop paying attention to sensations, that's the single most egregious comment I've ever heard. Sensation is meaningless. Sensation is worthless. I've, I, someone actually says that out there. There are people who actually say that out there. So you're going against every bodybuilder who said the mind-muscle connection is important. And Brad Schoenfeld published a paper, I was on it, showing evidence of the mind-muscle connection. So you're saying that you shouldn't pay attention to what you feel? Come on, it's all important. These common sense clues are important. All right, but the problem with them is that they don't, they lack numerical data. If you say, I feel this exercise and I feel, I feel this exercise, how can we compare them? How can we compare how they're, you know, how can we say which ones, how can we make a prediction as to which one's more effective? Well, that's where the kind of the numerical clues come into place. And these are tools that sports scientists use, you know, things like EMG. Some people bash EMG. I freaking love EMG. Uh, and, and that's because I've done so many hundreds of hours. You put an electrode on your bicep and you, you take the 10s and you do a curl. Then you take the 15s, then you take the 20s, and you just go up by five pounds and you watch the waveform. It's like they're just on top of each other. Like the heavier you go, there's, there's, <laughs> how could that be a bad thing? Now, my colleague Andrew Vygotsky likes to point out the pitfalls of them, but the problem is there's a, a, a paper published by DeLuca back in the day. He measured tension and he measured activation. And I mean, it's not a straight line, it's not a perfect, linear correlation but it's a, it's pretty close and it's a hell of a lot better than just taking some guru's word for it um so i i like emg especially if you tweak your form a little bit but you use the same range of motion or if you're comparing exercises with similar rom or comparing variations not if you're comparing different loads though um that then it's not as valuable and if you're comparing different exercises that have vastly different ranges of motion things like that but it is very useful. It's, it's, a, it's a useful clue. It's one of my favorites, but it's just one piece of the puzzle. And here's the problem. Right now, EMG went way this way, and then it went way this way. Now it's being bashed. The truth is in the middle. You want it in the middle. You don't want it too far this way or this way. Right now, EMG is being bashed. All right, take any, anything, anything on this whole list on the exercise efficiency guide. Take the common sense clues. All right. They all have weaknesses and pitfalls to them. Take everything on the numerical clues. Even take the longitudinal clues. 
All right, someone publishes a, a paper. Okay, well, I'll get to that in a minute. But take, take the numerical clues, the sports science tools that we use, right? We use functional MRI. Do you think functional MRI is perfectly correlated? Probably not. It's not. Because it measures, you know, shifts in the fl fluid shifts. Fluid shifts is not going to be a perfect, it's like EMG. But we like it, but it's not on the chopping block right now because it's not as popular. Take ultrasound. Cool, it, it, you can use it to measure muscle thickness. You can use it to measure shear wave elastography, which is kind of like a, a measurement of stiffness. Are they, is, is muscle thickness after a workout that shows you the pump? There's one study that shows that the pump was correlated with subsequent muscle hypertrophy, like the exercise that gave you the better pump did in fact, or an exercise that gave you a good pump grew your muscles over the long term. But is it perfect? Is it perfectly correlated? And there's more factors that go into getting the pump. <laughs> the pump changes depending on your, hell, I was in Mexico City last week. I got the greatest pump of my entire life. I took, I, put, I posted a video of it. So I went home and, you know, being the researcher I am, I want to know why. Well, there are three reasons that I can think of. And I, I looked them all up. One is that I was drinking the, the, the hospital. I was next door to a hospital. I was at a hotel and they had a, a diner there. And I went to the diner at all these beetroot juice drinks and they were pretty tasty. I've never had beetroot juice drinks, but I was drinking two or three of these a day and they're very high in nitrates, right? Nitrates lead to nitrites, which lead to nitric oxide and that can give you a better pump. It's good for, you know, the pump. It's good for just the endothelial system in general. It's good for erections, like nitric oxide is important. All right, now the second reason is uh, I was drinking a lot of Gatorades <laughs> because they don't have diet. <laughs> they don't have, in Mexico, they don't have nearly as many yeah. Gatorade zeros or Powerade zeros. People like their sugar there. What, they think, what's the point, you know? <laughs> so I was drinking all these Gatorades. I was carved up. I had lots of electrolytes and I was carved up. And I think that carb up could have explained it. But the biggest factor, this is something I didn't know, Mexico City is 7,700 feet up. It's a mile and a half high. So I thought maybe it's the elevation because I was breathing like crazy. Well, it was like the fourth day that I noticed this pump. And I found a study that talked about it. You know, the, the, the people of Nepal, uh, of Tibet, they, they, the people of Tibet have the highest um, nitric oxide levels in their body, sometimes like three to five times, depending on the tissue, three times higher than ordinary people. Their levels are through the roof and it's because they've been act. They, well, there's a debate whether it's a genetic predisposition sure. or if it's pure acclimation, but there's another study putting people at say 5,000 feet up of elevation. And then they met the first couple of days they dipped down but then they supercompensate and your nitric oxide levels go way up. So my guess is that it was just a combination of these three factors that led to the greatest pump ever. <laughs> that, that, I went off on a tangent, but the point is any training, any, any training, well, any tool that you're using, if you happen to do what I did, then I'd be left with an unfair advantage when I went and did this exercise. Or if I went and got measured 
via MRI or something in a, in a training study. If I happen to take creatine, tons of carbs, well, and then I drink, I'm thirsty, water, it all, it all gets registered as, you know, lean body mass. So it looks like I gain muscle. So there's pitfalls with every single thing. You name it, you name it, there's problems with it. That's why I said every one of these clues is a piece of the puzzle. It's all a, a piece of the puzzle. We need many pieces of the puzzle. And then you conduct a tr uh, training studies. That's what would be ideal. You know, how cool would it be if we had, you know, 200 studies on the squat, 200 studies on the hip thrust, 200 studies on cable kick, kickbacks, 200 studies on back extensions. Um, 200 studies on incline press and every which way you can do it. We're looking at doing them with, uh, you know, with dumbbells, with barbells, with Smith machine at a 30 degree incline, at a 45 degree incline, at a 60 degree incline with different loads and volumes and frequencies with different populations. And you would then get a good picture of how effective an exercise is. And to the point where you'd, you could write a, a review paper that said, you know, you looking at the hundred studies on step-ups, here's what we've learned. Here's, you know, here's what we're pretty confident about. Here's where we need more research on. But how cool would that be? The problem is, we will never have um, 200 longitudinal studies, maybe with like squats and like push-ups and, you know, but not, not all the different variations, not all the different exercises. It just won't happen. Sports science isn't funded like other fields are, like obesity and cancer research. Sure. You just don't see, it's so nice when you research these other fields that are just, for example, when I was researching beats there are so many studies you know because that's important for health yeah <laughs> I, I i you don't see that when you're researching you know hip thrust there's probably 30 30 studies maybe um but you don't have a lot of longitudinal studies you will, we will always have way more acute studies than longitudinal studies it's just the way it is it'll always be that way because you know, scientists need to publish. And why would you just only publish, you know, if you just publish, publish training studies, that takes your whole semester up, you know? Your semester lasts 16 weeks. So you gotta get right on the ball. Say you do a 12 week training study, you gotta start right away and then analyze it and try to write it up before the students leave, you know? So, and, and you're gonna have dropouts. It's very frustrating. It's so time consuming, it's costly. It's exhausting, you know, you gotta have se several coaches there watching over everyone in the training regimen. Whereas the, the more acute studies, like the mechanistic studies, like an EMG study, that can just be done, you know, in, in a weekend or two. And then you get the data and then you publish it. So we're always gonna have way more numerical clues. We'll always have way more common sense clues than anything because everyone works out and can feel yeah. we can all feel sensations right so that'll always be the number one thing people talk about the next thing is going to be the you know the numerical stuff because we're going to have more studies looking at that than longitudinal studies but I, in a perfect world we'd have so many training studies 
on different populations that we'd be able to say, look, you know, if you're trying to maximize glute growth, then you should, here's exactly how you should go about it. But we're not going to have that anytime soon. So the next best thing is to go down the line. We've got a couple of longitudinal studies. We've got, you know, a dozen numerical clues and we have, uh, and we have common sense. We have biomechanics, we have functional anatomy. We have, you know, we can analyze things this way and we got to use all of them. You don't just cherry pick which ones you happen to like and ignore the ones you don't. You use all of the clues together to form your opinion of an exercise's effectiveness. Yeah, I think that's where evidence, <laughs> sorry, I'm just going to, I'm going to pick up the dog. <laughs> she's like, now's the time you have to walk me and she's just whining there. So I'm like, I'll just pick her up and she'll shut up. <laughs> uh, and she's probably distracting in the background. But I yeah. think that was uh, really, really well said, Brett, because the thing that I liked how you described it, it was like, these are all pieces of the puzzle. And it's just like you mentioned in terms of like cherry picking, like, oh, EMG works for my bias here, but it doesn't here. So I'm just going to ignore this one and I'm going to talk about it here. And that isn't what evidence-based practice is. It's about looking at the totality of the evidence. So I really like that you had these kind of three sections of like common sense clues, numerical clues, longer, longitudinal clues as well. And um, I think, and it, it really... I struggle with the idea that sensation has nothing because obviously I've been training for over a decade myself and you even see studies where people can be intentional with their technique or form and they can activate muscles differently. Uh, and I certainly can do it where I don't know if I think about trying to kind of use a certain muscle in an exercise, like you, you can, again, you can feel the sensation. And I've no doubt that also has kind of real world impacts as well. It's I, I struggle to think that that could mean nothing. And when someone has an statement like that, it makes it hard to kind of go along with like there could be some good things also that that person is then talking about that could be really helpful, but it makes it hard when someone, and they might say sensation in this context is not helpful, but in this, like it's more helpful, but to just say like, like you said, or some, some people saying that like sensation is meaningless. I don't know. It's like the people that might say, I don't know if soreness is meaningless. It's like, it's meaningless. Like, I'm just, really? It's, it's, and that's what I wish people. So the thing is in a normal world, if I, okay. If I made a statement right now and went on my Instagram and said, sensation is worthless. What you feel is worthless. It means nothing. What you feel while you're working out means nothing. And I did not moderate the comments. I mean, I would have a thousand five hundred comments, and like eighty percent of would be like, "Hey, Brad, normally I'm a big fan, but couldn't disagree with you more here. Are you telling me blah blah? You know, can you clarify this? Are you telling me that when I'm, whatever? It would just be bashed. But again, if I just deleted every one of those comments and then blocked the people who were rude, which I have no problem problem blocking rude people i have a problem sure. when you block someone who has a uh like if someone calls your name block them uh but if someone's like hey i totally disagree here i thought blah 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 are you saying this like and they're just asking a hey not trying to be rude but you know especially if it's like brett i conducted a study on this i'm a researcher yeah. <laughs> i published a study on this showing the opposite 
uh, I think you're wrong here. Can you care to elaborate? And then you just block, you just delete their comment and block it and then limit the comment so no one else can comment. It's uh, you're, 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 you're artificially trying to create an illusion. You're not painting the whole picture here. And, um, and it, it's, it's, it's like what you said, I think that would be very dangerous to not pay attention to sensation. Um, first of all, when I measured EMG with people, they'd say, hey, Brett, I, I don't like, uh, like when I go narrow with like, you know, hip thrust, I don't feel it much. But if I go a little bit wider, I feel it more or vice versa. I had one client that she like touches her toes together. She takes a narrow stance and touches her toes, but she walks very pigeon footed, sure. you know, and everything she likes narrow stance. So with the masses, that narrow stance gets you the least glute activation. With, uh, with data that I have with 13 trained clients. The narrow stance, especially if you turn her feet in like that, that's a very awkward, but with her, it got so much higher glute activation than all the others. And I was like, man, I don't believe this. This is crazy. And then she did wide and it got so much less. So I palpated, you can feel, you could touch her glutes and you could feel such a big difference when she went narrow and she was right. And then I, I started realizing through 15, 15 years, 13, 13 years of EMG uh, experiments that people are right. They know their bodies well. When they say, Brett, I feel it more in the pecs when I do this. Brett, I feel it more in the delts if I, you know, I know you're supposed to do this, but I feel it more in the delts when I do this instead. They're always right. They're always right. And so you should tell people, when I've trained people, especially with si cable sideline or sorry, cable standing hip abductions. Every one of my squad do them differently. <laughs> so it's like, I have the way I teach it. And then I say, but here's some different ways. Some girls have the leg in front, the working leg out in front. Some girls step over and have the working leg in back. Some girls lean a little bit. Some girls turn the toe out. Some girl, And it's like, it, it doesn't, what, what matters is how you feel. I want you to put your hand right here on the glute medius and see how you feel it the most. That's the way I want you to do it. Some girls turn this way, turn that way. And um, that's what I, my goal is to try to help them feel their optimal way of doing things. And that's another thing when people start saying there's one way to do things. That's a dead ringer. If you hear someone say there's one way to do things, they don't train people because no one who trains people, you'll never hear them say that. If you have, you know, 50 clients like I do, you just, you can go down this, if they say, everyone should be taking a narrow stance and squatting deep. <laughs> you go, okay, that would work fine for Kiana, but Masa would destroy herself if she tried that. You know what I mean? Um, everyone should go wide and turn their feet out. Okay, so-and-so, whenever I have them do sumo stuff, they hurt their hips. That's not good for their hips. Uh, everyone should go below parallel. Everyone should go here. No, everyone's different. Our skeletal anatomy is very different. Our, you know, attachment points, all those things. You can go on and on and on. Your sockets are totally different shape, you know, and depth. And we need to teach people how to figure out their optimal variations and their optimal form and technique that maximize their progress and not just maximize their, their muscle activation, but maximizes their, or that minimizes their chance of injury so that they can keep doing it for, weeks and months and years to come yeah i think again and, really well said 
I, I saw, sorry, we're going to say something. Yeah, I just remembered I said dangerous ah. earlier and I didn't, that, that part didn't address the danger element. The danger element is if you didn't pay attention to sensation, the sensation didn't matter. Think about every time you've been injured. You know, every time I've been injured, my body was trying to tell me and I was too yeah. stupid to pay attention to it. And I've gotten good at it finally. At age 45, I'm finally good at paying attention to my body. So it's like, uh, my low back doesn't feel, I wanted to hit, you know, I've deadlifted 650. I've hit 605 for five. I still want to get stronger, but, uh, you know, some days if I go to warm up and 545 feels heavy or I feel my low back, I'm done for the day. I'm done. I don't try to pull anything big. I stop. This happens a lot all the time. I just walk away from it because I'm going, I'm not risking. I can deadlift in two days. I'll do some stuff right now, some single leg work or some back extension. I'll do something that'll help me, you know, tide me over until I'm feeling better. Yeah. And, uh, Every time I ever hurt myself back in the day, I was like, afterwards, I'd be like, man, I should have paid attention. My low back wasn't feeling good or my hips weren't or my whatever. My knees were, my knees were telling me on set one of those hack squats, you should be done. And I, I did three sets. If I would have stopped at one set, I'd be okay. And now my knees are going to be sore for 10 days and it's going to ruin the whole rest of my week of training. So yeah. You, you, you should pay attention. You absolutely should pay attention. I tell my clients that. Tell me whatever you're feeling. I want to know, you know, and what you don't, don't feel like it's stupid. Whatever you're telling me is important. You know, you yeah. need to feel comfortable telling me so that I can give you the best advice as your coach. Yeah, I think that, again, very well said. I, I even think of, like, recently I just had, like, a shoulder tweak, and I was just like, oh, if I just, like, ducked a little bit more tuck my elbow a bit more oh, now it's pain-free and I can just like do that one thing but I thought we were past the whole I think there was a time where people were like oh you must squat like this and then people learned that like you said like our hips don't all look the same some people can't sit ass to grass they just they can't squat like some of the elite Olympic lifters whereas other people they have to do it differently and I think particularly at least what I have seen with some uh, people in the field with like the biomechanics the functional anatomy it's like if you're not do it, like it's like minutiae little differences between people where I'm like, well, they could be that little bit different where it feels that much better to them. It's like, no, sensation doesn't matter. You must perform it like this or it's wrong. It's kind of like, again, we're yeah. back to, to where funny, we were. Yeah, funny story about that. So remember, um, how old are you, Stephen? I am basically 32. <laughs> 32? See, I'm 45. So you might have come into this at the, yeah, you may... Basically, when Westside started becoming really, really popular, like Teenation started really all these, you know, all these guys who were Westside or like influenced by Westside, like Dave Tate and Joe DeFranco, and even a lot of powerlifter types were writing for Teenation, you know, and um, and it was like basically we should all be squatting wide, you know, you're stronger that way, you'll move more weights and uh, sit back, and we were trying to. We were like, we were raw lifters trying to imitate the geared power yep, lifters, yep. you know, like they're wearing briefs in a squat suit, sitting back as far as they can. And then we're doing that too, which was silly of us. But anyway, that's when the raw movement came, became way more popular. We stopped squatting so wide and we start trying to use your quads more and um, it brought, brought more normalcy, normality or whatever the word is to the field. But Back then, I'm trying to get my clients to squat wide. I remember my my poor buddy Rob. He was 
my best friend and lifting partner for like 10 years, but he was always my guinea pig and I'm having him squat wide. And he, he always, Oh, this doesn't feel right. And I'm like, you just need to get used to it. I told him that so many times <laughs> get used to it. Trust me, you will get stronger. And then I heard a podcast with this Shirley Sarman. She's a physical therapist. And, um, maybe it was a podcast or some, or she wrote it somewhere. Maybe it was just a written interview, but she basically said, you got all these, in essence, you got all these idiot trainers trying to force a square peg into a round hole. Yeah. Everyone's hips are different. The squat style needs to suit the person's hip anatomy. Some people's hips are not meant to go wide. Some people shouldn't go very narrow. You have to, and I remember going, oh my God, Rob, <laughs> I screwed this guy over for years. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, the the way we learn, you know, that was in my 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 mid twenties, you know, it was yeah. just 20, twenty years ago. But uh, that's 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 I've made a lot of mistakes as a trainer over the years. But what matters is that you continue to evolve and continue to learn and continue to question yourself. Yeah, no, I I can remember doing trying when I was in getting into powerlifting. I tried the wide stance and I was like, it's probably similar to your friend. Like my hips are just like, oh man, I just, just feels all kind of wrong and i can't produce any force or power at this point either and so it's funny yeah. i i love i walk with my feet out and i walk like a caveman everyone makes fun of the way i walk but i love sumo stance squats yeah it feels like i'm cheating in fact i barely do them because i can i can sit and then just have vertical shins and sit way back i even let my hips shoot up a little bit i'll good morning this wide stance sumo squat it doesn't even look like a squat but i can I'm so much stronger that way. It's like, it's crazy. So, but it doesn't work my quads much, you know, I feel like I'm kind of doing like a hip thrust and cheating, you know, but, um, but yeah, I, I, my, my body loves frog pumps where my, my knees are out. My body True. loves external rotation. My hips love external rotation. They love abduction. Whereas some people do not. So you got to modify the, not only the exercise selection, but the exercise uh, technique and what they do and then it's, but that's the art of being a that's the art of personal training and that's where i wish i saw more of it's so good so many of these guys out there right now i think they're insecure they need to feel like i discovered this i came up with this and so they're trying to figure out the optimal way the hip thrust should be done this way this is the way to hip thrust it's like no my girls all hip thrust very differently you know I teach them the hinge. I teach them the scoop. I like them, but they, a lot of them have a, a, a hybrid <laughs> kind of hingy and scoopy. And some of them, when they do this variation, they like to hinge. When they do this variation, they like to scoop. When you single leg, you use your hinge. Like it's, there's a lot of different ways. And think about squats. We squat uniquely. It's good to squat many different ways. It's good to be a versatile. And so you should never say, here's the way you could, just, you could say, Here's the way I teach the squat. Then from there, it's let's figure out how to make it work with this person. And it rarely ends up looking the exact way I teach them. Um, and then, you know, if you have, if I, if you saw my 50 clients and we showed all the ways they lift, you'd be like, wow, they, the way they squat, the way they deadlift, the way they hip thrust, the way they, you know, the way they kick back, the way they bench, the way they military press, the way they do chin-ups is very different, you know? Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. 
yeah i think it's kind of that the principles like that's what we kind of want to learn like the basic okay this is how the squat should generally be done you like you you don't come up onto your toes and like you squat down to like parallel or if you can come deeper great it's like the general principles and then it was funny you were asked saying about like when i get form videos i work with people online but it's a case where they send it across and like it can look great to me but i'm always like but how did it feel to you like that's generally what i end up asking I'm like again Same. if sensation meant nothing it's kind of like well I don't know. I start again as a practical kind of as a coach. I struggle with that. That could mean nothing if, especially in experienced lifters. Maybe if someone never's li like lifted before, sure they have no awareness of their their body and they need to just go through like the principles because they they just know no better. But once you've kind of got an awareness of your body and kind of what muscles do, yeah, I, I struggle to think that that could be like the wrong thing to ask. <laughs> well, yeah, I, yeah, I, and it's funny because I do that a lot. I'm like, well, first of all. They're going, hey, Brett, is this good form? And I'm like, well, first of all, did, do you feel in your glutes? And if they're like, no, not at all. I feel my hamstring right now. I'm like, yeah, well, okay. that's It makes sense because your feet were out. You're kind of pushing back. Like, I, I, I can, <laughs> you got to stay put. Your back doesn't slide. Your knees should be at a 90-degree angle. Let's try this. Let's go down a bit in weight. I want you to try it this way. And then they're going, oh, my God, that's so much better. Like, come up higher. You weren't, you weren't locking out. But if they're like, oh, my God, my glutes are on fire. I have to stand up. Then I'm like, okay, we can tinker, but maybe that's the best way for you. Yeah. Like, some of my girls like to have their knees at an obtuse, slightly obtuse angle with hip thrusts. Some of my, it's, 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 you'd be amazed at how, and if you are that, if you're just, um, I think most, uh, you know, here's the problem with social media. I've been talking about social media. You get rewarded. So it's this death to the practitioner, I call it. All the most popular, you name it, personal trainers or fitness, fitness experts, all the most popular, probably any field, right? Probably the po most popular lawyer, chiropractor, all the people on the internet that have several million followers they're not working with people anymore. They stop. My, my, my buddy is, uh, he's a uh, roommate is, uh, the most popular chiropractor in the world <laughs> on social media. And, you know, he's great. He knows a ton, but I said, let me guess. He doesn't work with people anymore. <laughs> he doesn't say, I go, seriously, did he quit? He quit taking clients, right? Right. Cause he's smart. He's savvy. They want money. I, I don't blame him for that. Because the more time you have to collaborate with other people, the more time you have to make social media posts, the more popular you get. Mm -hmm. So why would they not? So until social media finds a way to reward people actually working in the field, it's going to be this way. It's, and so then these guys are sitting around with nothing to do. Think about it. If you didn't train anyone, what would you do if you didn't train anyone at all? You sit around, what do you do? You, <laughs> you pontificate. Hmm. Hmm. And then you make up stupid things that aren't even tested. You don't even have a clientele to test them on. You'd be amazed at how many times I come up with an idea. And I just had this, <laughs> this prototype I made. Oh, I got delivered. My, I had my people make it. It got delivered. I was so excited. I've been excited about this for six weeks. I get it to my garage and I start doing it. I'm like, no, no, I can't. I, I hated it. And then I'm like, no, <laughs> it can't be. And after, I would say 15 minutes, I go, I hate this thing. Like, it makes me angry. Let's put it in storage. 
let's put in storage. I wasted several thousand dollars and two months of being excited. And it took me 15 minutes to realize this is a terrible, and it just goes into storage. And I have a whole storage full of metal scraps that (laughs) discarded items that never went to use. But I always have these ideas in my head and then you test them and it's like, yeah, not that good. It doesn't work out in theory that well. Or you might have, you know, you have six clients test it and you have three of them. I really like it. And the other three are like, Ooh, I actually don't like it. And here's why. That's why ideally you'd be a trainer. You'd have a large group of clientele and you'd test things out before you posted about them. But the, on the, the folk, the fake trainers, they only train themselves. And, you know, they're not working with lots of people. So they make these claims and they don't know the Dunning-Kruger effect. They don't know enough to know that they, what they said works well for 60% of people, but the other 40% it doesn't. But the problem is those black and white comments, think about it. All If I say squatting, the only way, if I made a comment on social media right now, the only way to squat is ass to grass. If you're not going ass to grass, you're just being, a pussy or something. You know what I mean? You, you are, you're, you're a bro. You're, you're training with your ego and you're not trying. There are studies that show that going deep maximizes muscle growth. You want quad growth. You want glute growth. You want adductor growth. Then you should go ass to grass. Any other, there's no other way around it. If you're not going ass to grass, then you care more about your ego than you do your physique and you're training your ego. I mean, Think about that. And then there's all these people who can't squat deep because they're hip musculature or ankle mobility or something and or powerlifters who would be, you know, I know I need specificity. I should go just below parallel, you yeah. know, it's so 40% of people are going to agree. The 40% is who go as to grass and squat deep is deep, deep AF. So they're going to all share it, but this is going to be a volatile post. It's going to be, pissing people off. All these people are going to be, so the 40 percenters who go deep, they're like, yeah, I'm going to share this. I'm going to share this post. Then you don't follow me, but you see some your friends share this and you're like, who's this guy? So you go on my page and you say something insulting, you know, but that's how these black and white bold statements, they get rewarded. There's a lot of comments. A lot of dis- engagement. And so that's what gets rewarded. So right now, Instagram is rewarding bold statements. They're not rewarding science. Yeah. They're not rewarding trainers with experience. They actually, the advantage, go if you, if, if you want to be as popular as possible, do not train anyone in the field. Do not waste your time training because it's very time consuming. You know, if I'm in the gym for five hours, Five hours a day, those are five hours. I could have made a social media post during those five hours. And you would grow faster. And until social media figures out a way, it didn't used to be like this. When you let when when you let humans decide, we cared. Remember when it was chronological order, there were no algorithms? Think about who was popular back then. It was the evidence-based crowd. We got, we were very popular. It wasn't the charlatans. It wasn't the pseudo experts, you know, now that they do that Facebook devised their little machine learning algorithms. No, the scientist is no longer appreciated, appreciated. You know, Brad Schoenfeld is not going to learn how to make reels. Yeah. <laughs> not going to make 
if he's trying to say, hey guys, new study published, he's gonna screenshot the, the abstract. He's not gonna have the robot, robot voice, <laughs> you know, mention the abstract while he acts it out and puts a, a song in the back, a trending <laughs> song in the background. Well, he did. I've got an image in my head now, I can't get rid of it. He's not gonna be doing his dance to a song, to a robot <laughs> voice reading out the abstract or something, or this study showed that blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, it's, it's just not gonna happen. He's not gonna make silly reels. And, um, and th so we need to, so they're not gonna change. Uh, so I don't think this will ever, I don't know if it will ever change because people are too stupid. They just, I remember reading this comment many years ago. I don't know who said it, but something effective, you know, like the vast majority of the world is walking around umbilical cord in hand, looking for a place to plug in. It's like, that's what people do. They just, they're just drone, mindless drones that don't think for themselves and drooling and I'm going to just plug in here and not do any critical thinking whatsoever. Yeah. But this is a dangerous path that we're on when we're rewarding the things that the algorithms are rewarding right now um, aren't what's best for the world. And we don't know, like, have you noticed that your fault, your like social media has dropped in the last year? It's, uh, I, I've certainly noticed it's so hard to get like the, I mean, in terms of, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, same. Definitely. As happened to everyone, some people are crushing it right now. I don't know what they're doing differently. I can mimic what they do and it doesn't. So as a businessman, I can't analyze what I'm doing wrong. Can you, and how sad is that? You know, if I own a brick and mortar business, a gym, I can say, okay, we can look at these objective things and go, okay, this is down, this is down. Clearly we're doing this, we could do better at this. Well, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I made, I'm making reels and some of them are getting 900,000 views and I'll get a hundred followers that day. How can you get, 100 followers when you had 900,000 900, views on your story. That doesn't add up. So this is what happens when you have monopolies. If, if you have monopolies and, you know, Facebook buys out Instagram and we don't have any, they can just do whatever they want with the algorithms. They don't tell us what the algorithms are. We can't analyze our business. We can't, ooh, you know what I need? And that's what everyone, you talk to all these people the, the the lay public and they go i heard reels i heard reels are real big you need to be doing yeah. reels. okay i'm doing reels i'm putting the trendy song in i'm doing everything they told me to do i'm getting huge levels of engagement you know 350 to 900,000 views on these reels per day and my following is stagnant something doesn't add up so they're not telling us something but we don't demand we don't put the, the public has all the power if we just collectively said, we're putting our foot down, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. We're not going to tolerate these algorithms because it's creating a more unscientific world. That's not good for the world. And it's also contributing to the things that bring the world down, makes them depressed. The dysmorphia, the cancel culture, the drama, the conspiracy theories, the, the bullying, the harassment, the hate, the, you know what I mean? The... I just, all that stuff is just, we want to get away from that and let's, you know, <laughs> promote science and 
I think science is at an all-time low in terms of public trust. And I was watching this documentary from several years ago on Bill Nye, the science guy. I think it was 2017. And I think it was filmed in 2016. And here he is meeting with Neil Tyson deGrasse. And he's like, Neil, there's a problem. Like people are starting to distrust science. They're starting to hate science and scientists. And that got worse during the pandemic. Yeah. It's like no one believes science anymore. They have this distrust. That's bad because you have people who don't. That's why that point of the exercise efficiency got. I'm trying to people how to think, teach people how to think for themselves yeah. because it's dangerous. It's a slippery slope. When you start having people who don't have a scientific mindset, they can be taken advantage of and controlled very easily, you know? It brings to mind like conspiracy theories and everything. So I guess we did see that a lot of that. So it it is a scary time, actually, especially, I guess, for us, uh, like I talk about us, people around our age, we kind of grew up seeing it as it started and we've grown up with it, whereas some people are now like anyone who's like 10 years old, what have you, like 10 to 20 years old now, they're kind of like being dropped in it. And it's kind of like it's they haven't seen the how it's changed over time and yeah instagram is no longer how it used to be for sure they don't know what things were like back before the algorithms why do we yeah. have algorithms why do we allow that the algorithms are there to maximize profit yeah it's like facebook is a public traded company it's their obligation to maximize profit for the shareholders well there's a huge conflict conflict of interest because What's best for the shareholders is not what's best for you and I as businessmen. And it's not what's best for this teenage girl who's watching online. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and being, you know, developing body dysmorphia and becoming depressed. That what's best for their profit is definitely not what's best for the public. And it's definitely, you know, in, I think last year, you know, Facebook, Instagram made like $120 billion, right? They can, they can afford, it's like they had like $120 billion in, in earnings. They, they can afford to hire, they can afford more. And, and, you know, I remember back two years ago, remember the algorithms were good. We were all, remember, was that when you were doing your best like two years ago? Probably that's when I started hitting like 50K and then it like slowed right down. Yeah. <laughs> Times were great. We were all crushing it. They were still making a ton of profit. I think profit, I remember reading, they made 30 billion profit that year or something. They did fine. It's this never-ending greed. And I understand it. Like, hell, we all have our right to maximize our profit. But you can't become a monopoly. That's their fatal error. They became a monopoly. I, I, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to shadow ban you. I'm not even going to tell you what you did wrong, but you're shadow banned. Yeah. You won't even know that you're, you don't want to, we won't even tell you that you're shadow banned. How is that even legal? Oh, you, now it's people get their accounts hacked. You yeah. know, you can't get a hold of anyone. There's no customer service. You can't get a hold of someone. So your business is just on hold until you get a hold of someone. They need to have, there's a serious hacking problem within, <laughs> within Instagram. Uh, right now that makes sense yeah I can why see don't why. they have more customer service why don't they have more of this it's like they're above the law and everyone's afraid it's so weird why are they afraid i mean there's this quote was it benjamin franklin or something it said like god i'm gonna be butchering all these quotes left and right but basically like when a 
when the republic, when the government fears the people, the, the that then you have democracy, you know. <laughs> but when the people fear the government, you have tyranny, and it's, right. it should not be that we're afraid to talk about this stuff. It's weird. It's like people think, oh my God, if I say something, I'm going to get, they're worried it's going to affect their following. You can't be worried about that. They're not going to do that. If they do that, they will be caught. <laughs> but we need to have, two, two situations need to happen. Either needs to go back to chronological order, the way it used to be. That way, we choose what goes viral. Sure. It's not influenced by their algorithms. That are, their algorithms, they influence what goes viral. And their whole concern is how to keep you online for the longest because then they can sell more ads. And what's so maddening about that is, do you remember reading, watching the movie Social Network back in the day? Yeah. Where Mark Zuckerberg was like, we're bigger than ads. Now that that's all they care about is ads. He went from like this young guy with his vision and he completely did a 180 and no one talks about yeah. that. Once we're against, you once were against ads and now you're obsessed with ads there's no amount of money you're in. You have this insatiable obsession with maximizing your profit to the point where it's harming people. Like, I, I don't understand how it wouldn't bother him that I have people that are like, Brett, I can't hack it anymore. I've got to go get a, a job. Like I have to go back to teaching or something. I can't make a living anymore. I was doing great two years ago. I was really doing great. I was, you know, supporting my family and we were saving. And then now, he doesn't care. He could care less that millions worldwide, millions of people have been affected by these algorithm changes. And now they can't make a living anymore. They're not making any money. Any normal person that would eat them alive. Like I couldn't sleep at night if that were me, you know, yeah. but he does not care because he's so he's been in it too long. All he cares about is maximizing profit. So a lot of the problems we're talking about, I know I just completely. one <laughs> <laughs> But it's tied to this podcast. Yeah, it is. Because those problems back in the day wouldn't have existed, you know, and, and you know, we had a, a more tight-knit, we had, I can't, can't explain it. We had more accountability back then, kind of, back in the Facebook days. Yeah. We had a community and it was more like, but then they ruined, and it's funny, I, I was, I've been working my butt off. Everyone said, how come you don't take vacations? You know what I would tell them the last five years? Because I was there, I, I worked my butt off on Facebook. I got 110,000 followers back when that was a big number. <laughs> I had more followers than any other strength coach. And all of a sudden, overnight, it went to shit. It went to complete shit. And we're, we're you're, you're, and I know, and I, so I, I jumped ship. I stopped Facebook. I was the first strength coach to stop using Facebook. I just stopped. Not only did I stop using Facebook, I stopped blogging. I stopped my newsletter. I stopped Facebook. I stopped Twitter. I stopped YouTube. And I just did put all my eggs in one basket, Instagram. And I started growing. And I didn't trust Instagram. It was just that my twin brother was like, Brett, trust me. Instagram's the wave of the future. I'm like, how? You can't even link things. Yeah. And he's like, just trust me. Trust me on this. It's the wave of the future. So I was like, I got nothing else to lose. I went all in. I was killing it. And then all of a sudden I get the word out that Facebook bought Instagram. I went, no, 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 no. They're going to ruin it just like they did Facebook. And I knew, I told everyone, you know, Facebook was good for like seven years or something or eight years. And then it sucked. 
So Instagram will be good for like eight years and then they'll, it's like a model they've developed. Yeah. And they do it slowly and everyone's so dumb. Everyone's so dumb. They think they're doing something wrong. Admit it, Steven, you're like, my reels suck. <laughs> my, my, infogra- my infographics just suck now. Infographics used to do well. Yeah, they. Right. You're like, my infographics, I just don't have anymore. Your infographics are fine. They change the rules on you and they don't tell you the rules. Like, wouldn't you feel obligated if you had, if you were the owner of the biggest social media company in the world, wouldn't you feel obligated to say, hey guys, just a heads up, we're going to be making some changes. We want to lead people to make videos. So, you know, the infographics aren't going to do as well anymore. Or like, this isn't going to do as well. They don't even give you a heads up. No. Now you have uh, Instagram coaches. They've at least they've they've like there's like a new niche of like Instagram coaches now. So they've developed some jobs somehow. <laughs> uh, Brett, we, we, I, we, don't, we don't have any clue what we're doing. Like we don't no. have to. We can't analyze our business and go. Here's what I need to do better because we don't know. We don't know what we're doing wrong. So it's it's very frustrating situation. But because of these new changes, the stuff that used to get rewarded no longer gets rewarded. The stuff that's going viral and getting popular is this silly stuff yeah and it's bad for it's bad for our industry it's bad for science yeah i agree i think a lot of the listeners will also agree i think when you look at like people just don't see maybe your stuff my stuff like they used to and it's like the stuff that instagram thinks you want to see because it's popular and it's popular for poor reasons not because it's good for you or good knowledge or like i mean I guess people shouldn't really be going to Instagram for knowledge and education. Hopefully they're coming more to the podcast and like your blog articles and like your books and things like this. But unfortunately, a lot of people do (laughs) and they take these sound bites and apply them and maybe it's not the best place to be. But um, yeah, Brett, I want to say a massive thank you for you coming on. I know we've just we could talk probably for for ages and I'm sure I have to have to have you back on before another four years. Um, But your article, I think. I can just link your website, right? So I can have that linked in the description box. That's where I found it before. So if people want to look over every point there, and I'm not surprised it took you a long time because there's some things there that I hadn't even really completely thought about either. So it was, it was really nice to see you kind of, I think it's probably nice for you to have conceptualized it and really had a thought out process. It's always nice doing those things. It is like when Brad, because Brad always makes fun of, fun of me that I, I abandoned science and, and <laughs> full, full like full, full bro mode. He just jokes with me because he wants me publishing more, but cool. he was impressed. He was like, "Wow, this is great! I'm I'm given a topic, I'm presenting on this topic, and how oh, awesome! I'm use this, and I just always want to be impressing Brad. You know, <laughs> I think everyone wants to impress Brad. Well, at least uh, in the evidence based like communities, like yeah, one of the core there. So anyway, uh, also just uh, if people want to follow you on social media, make sure they are where, where should they head? Where are you uh, putting information most? So it's Instagram.com uh, slash Brett Contreras one. If they don't remember, you can just type in the glute guy and I come up. But yeah, that's still Instagram is the main place, but I'm trying to blog again every once in a while. Yeah, I miss writing about more complex topics, you know. And YouTube as well. That's where I found uh, there was actually a really great analogy you had on uh, like the the, t- the carpenter and his toolkit uh, in terms of like exercises for this, like when I was kind of doing some background. So yeah, people should head um, there as well. YouTube, I, I've, I've taken a little hiatus, but 
this last year I've made some really good videos in the last 12 months. So <laughs> I really am proud of them. They're really high quality. Yeah. Teaching, you know, you learn a lot because I take my time embedding stuff into those videos that I think are important. So it's not so boring to watch. Amazing. I'll make sure all of those are linked below uh, so people can check them out. And uh, again, thank you for coming on and we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. The Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger, to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another, a really cool community for people within our little niche. It's gonna be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there, you can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. It's also gonna be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're gonna be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.